recently my family uh, discovered that my great-great-grandfather uh, fought for a famous Massachusetts artillery company uh, out of Salem, Mass, in the Civil War. Uh, his unit, we found out, was pretty heroic. It saw intense action in the Gettysburg campaign and at Petersburg. My great-great-grandfather was actually captured at Petersburg and uh, sent to Andersonville, you know, Civil War history, that's the notorious prison camp, survived there and uh, was discharged in, uh, in January, actually December of 1864. Um, so it was really interesting to find that out and I think it speaks to, uh, I think for a lot of us as Americans, there's just something about the Civil War that, uh, that kind of sticks in our psyche. Um, every town has a Civil War monument. Um, and if you look, there's many names on those monuments. Uh, it was the deadliest, deadliest war by far. Um, the uh, new estimates are that there were 750,000 people that died in the war. So that's actually more than all the other wars combined. So just in the Civil War. And, uh, and there are stories of the battles. Uh, like Antietam and Gettysburg and Petersburg uh, in books and movies galore and, and we all know about men such as Abraham Lincoln or Robert E. Lee and John Wilkes Booth and others. The story of the Civil War grips our hearts as Americans um, and that's appropriate. Um, yet there's a more significant story that's meant to grip the hearts of God's people and that's the story we're going to look at today. This story is superbly told. It's the story of God's mighty deliverance of his people out of Egypt. We're going to take time to look at, at these chapters, and we're going to look at the first nine plagues, actually, that go together. And this is a story that is told so masterfully, and it's meant, really, like I said, to grip our hearts and to affect how we think about God and how we think about ourselves. So let's pray and ask God to grip our hearts through his word this morning. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for these truths in this section of Exodus and that you have preserved this story for us because you want us to know what you're like. You want us to know what it's like to be your people. And so we ask you, Lord, I pray, would you help me teach well, explain well, and to read well so that we, Lord, would hear from you. We ask you, Lord, to make your glory known to us and to teach us your ways, just as you intended when that first audience heard this story recounted, perhaps from their parents, that we as well, when we hear it and learn about it today, would be changed and gripped, and you'd lead us in your ways, we pray in Christ's name, amen. I'm going to read it after I talk a little bit about it, and I want to just prepare us to listen better, perhaps, so uh, I want to go through it. Uh, and I first need to tell you that it's important to understand in Exodus and elsewhere in Scripture that the storytelling of Scripture is not what we're used to. When somebody tells stories now, when someone recounts events now, we expect a strict and chronological recounting. So you need to do it chronologically and you need to tell us all the details in a precise way. But that's not the burden of the Bible. It is a true account, of course. They're, these are real things that happen. This is not a metaphorical or fictitious account. It's real, but it's told in a certain way to weave certain ideas and certain occurrences together in such a way to tell a story, to tell a story masterfully. 
Uh, it's woven together in grand and exquisite stories that convey key points that are meant to shape our lives and not merely inform our minds. We're used to stories and accounts that are really there just to inform our minds on what happened. But that's not the, that's not the intent of Scripture. These stories are more like poetic epics than newspaper accounts. So as we listen to the word and as we read, we need to understand that. This story was written probably decades after it took place by Moses when the people were wandering in the desert. And probably as they were preparing to go into the promised land, as they were preparing for that next generation to go into the promised land. So it probably was first written down and told to that next generation. So understand that context. And, and when we get to the place where we're going to read it, maybe think of yourselves as that next generation sitting there around the fire with your parents or grandparents reading what Moses had written to you and hearing the story and, and, and entering into this story and having it affect you. It's a wonderfully crafted story. Now, the, the storyline, of course, we've been following, we've just seen how Moses has finally learned his lesson of what it means to be God's leader, that it's not about him, it's about God and all his goodness uh, and his faithfulness and power. Um, it's, it's about his people that God loves and promises to rescue, even despite themselves. It's not about Moses. And so Moses has to learn to take his eyes off himself and to trust in the Lord and to do and say things exactly as God instructs. We're going to see that in the storyline. We will see him and Aaron uh, do as they are told and successfully bring about what God plans. Uh, just a little bit on how this story is laid out. There are actually 12 encounters that Moses and Aaron have with Pharaoh, either directly or indirectly. There's already been one already, right? The, the mess up by Moses, where he did it his way instead of God's way. We're going to start the story. There'll be a, a reboot of that initial encounter. And Aaron will go to Pharaoh and cast down his staff before Pharaoh, and it will turn into a serpent, likely a cobra. Actually, it's a different word here than earlier. Earlier it was snake. Here it's called a serpent, uh, speaking of this powerful encounter and likely a cobra, and that was the symbol of the power of Egypt, so it's, it's not without meaning that the staff of Aaron or Moses turns into a cobra. Uh, and we will see in the story that Pharaoh watches that and then summons his wise men and magicians. They come in, and they are able to, to do the same, most likely using some sort of dark demonic magic. They make snakes as well, well but Aaron's serpent, his cobra, devours the magician's serpents. And it's a picture, that initial encounter of what's going to come, because all the efforts of Pharaoh to resist are going to be swallowed up by God Almighty and his superior power and glory. So what's going to come after that? There'll be nine plagues, chapters 7 through 10. And then there'll be a final and horrible plague, chapters 11 through 13. Well, that'll be next week. And then one final encounter and deliverance from Pharaoh in chapters 13 through 15. We'll cover that later. These first nine plagues go together. They fit together, and they're meant to be heard together and, I believe, taught together as well. Um, let me explain why. Well, if you look at the plagues, they actually fit in groups of three. Three groups of three. I think we have a chart to show. Um, and don't feel like you have to know everything on that chart. But, but basically, it, it explains how these plagues fit together. So there's three groups of three. There's the first three, the next three, and the final three. They all fit together. So the first three plagues we'll see are the Nile turns to blood, 
the swarming frogs, and the gnats or mosquitoes. They all go together. These three initial pl plagues are all performed by Aaron raising his staff. So they have that in common. And the next three and the final three do not have Aaron raising his staff. They have other ways that, that they are implemented. So these first three, it's all Aaron raising his staff. It's kind of like the, the, the first part of the hockey game, the first period. It's just getting started. And Aaron is the guy that's in charge at this point. So they all have Aaron raising his staff. And all the plagues that happen are, they're serious nu nuisances, but there's no real damage done. Um, nothing is destroyed really here, as we'll see later happens. And these first three plagues follow a similar pattern of the next groups of three. The first of the three start with Aaron and Moses meeting Pharaoh in the morning as he's going out to probably bathe in the river. They meet him in the morning, and they pronounce to him what's going to happen. And then, of course, it happens. And then the next plague, the second one, they meet Pharaoh again, but this is now uh, in his palace, uh, in Pharaoh's palace. And then the third one, there's no direct encounter with Pharaoh. They don't go to Pharaoh. It just happens. That's actually the same pattern in the next set as well. So the first, second, and third of the next sets, the same exact pattern follows. So they're, they're grouped in this way. Now, God did it this way, but he did it this way for purposes we'll get to shortly. So, um, so that goes on. And then in this first set, there's only one time when Pharaoh pleads, where he says, I'm sorry. Uh, would you take this away? And that's with the frogs. Uh, the next one, there'll be one time. And then in the final one, it'll be all three times that he pleads. So there's a building of the plagues as they go along. So that's the first set. The next three plagues are the swarming flies, the death of the livestock, and boils on the skin. And, and by the way, in your translations, it talks about like all the livestock dying. The Hebrew word for all is not like our all. Our all is all. It's totality. Their all is more like all sorts. All right? So that's important to understand. Sometimes people read through this and like, hey, there's no more livestock left. They all died. Why does it say livestock died later? Well, it, it doesn't mean absolutely, totally all like ours. It means all sorts, everywhere. The livestock were dying. That's important to understand. So the next three, uh, soaring flies, death of livestock, and boils, they're all performed without Aaron or Moses raising their staff, but by God directly. They each bring real but not complete destruction. So things are getting more intense, but it's not, it's not as bad as it's going to get. They follow the same pattern, the first of the set. So that would be the fourth plague, meet Pharaoh in the morning. The second of the set, meet him in his palace. The third of the set, no meeting. And these three middle plagues are unique in other ways, too. Uh, they are marked by God distinguishing between Israel and Egypt. And that functions into importance here. In this one, Pharaoh pleads for, for help for one of the plagues. And then the final three plagues. The horrible hail, devastating the locusts, and the complete darkness. They all bring death either literally or figuratively. So there's things, ma there's massive amount of death, and darkness is a symbol of death, so it's figurative. They're all performed by now Moses raising his staff. So kind of the authority is upping is what's going on. First it's Aaron, He's a deputy of Moses, and then God in the middle, kind of a pause in how it's done, does it directly, and then now Moses is raising his staff. So it's God's chosen leader raising his staff, so now it's, they're into the big time. It's serious. Um, they all follow the same pattern in the morning by the Nile, then in the palace, and then uh, not directly with, with Pharaoh. In all three, we see uh, Pharaoh now pleading, saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me, 
relent, um, and then it doesn't happen. The third, the third and final one, actually, it's not quite that. Pharaoh pleads with them, and then it turns away. Each time, after every plague, you'll hear things like, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, or the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Remember we talked about that before, and how they go together. Human choice, God's sovereignty. Um, and, and it's not meant here to create a debate. It's meant to show that this is how it works. People make choices, yet God is sovereign over that. He's ultimately in charge over all of our choices. As real, of our choices, as, our real as our choices may be, God is sovereign over those choices. So these grouping of plagues are put together for a purpose. This isn't just like, wow, cool structure. Wow, look at what he did. Look at how God arranged this and how Moses told it. What a cool, what a cool structure. No, there's a point. There's a point in Scripture when we see uh, these sorts of structures. Actually, in our Bible class, you guys have been learning about some of these things, right? The structures that are there in Scripture are meant to convey things. So there are important purposes in these groupings. So that's what I want to go through. First, the first group of plagues teach us something really important. And by the way, now remember, who's this written to? Who's this story first written to? It was to the probably the next generation getting ready to enter the promised land. Right? So uh, they're needing to learn these lessons. And of course, God preserved this for whatever, a hundred generations later, whatever we are, for us to hear it and for it to shape us as well. So they're listening to the story and then they're hearing, particularly in a culture that's really good at storytelling. We're not as good in some ways, though we do it well in movies, but I don't think we do it so much in you know, vocal storytelling. They would have been listening and hearing these sorts of connections. So First, God makes it clear through the first set of three that he alone is God. That he alone is God. The snake swallowing the snakes from the magicians is a declaration that you may have your, your false deities and things that you do, but I am more powerful. I alone am God. I alone is, am the eternal and invincible and unyielding one. Now, Pharaoh himself is considered a God. He's, he's God incarnate for the Egyptians. He's God on earth doing the will of the gods. And so this is a confrontation with Pharaoh himself as well, where the pride and evil and stubbornness of Egypt is broken with the hammer, the hammer marks of God, because there's only one God. And all those who set themselves up against him will crumble beneath his sovereign might and his resolute goodness. So important to to get that. And we need to hear it today. We live in a culture that, that prizes human autonomy. And we get to claim, you know, we are the master of our own destiny. We get to do what we want. And certainly we're made in the image of God. We're called to make real choices. But, but we have a creator who we must bow before. Let's not be like Pharaoh and the Egyptians and stubborn and proud and saying, I'll do it my way, not your way, God. Because God in his goodness and in his might will make it very clear in time. He alone is God. So this is a lesson for us as well, to heed, to hear this, and to tremble before our mighty God, and to say, you are God alone, bow before you. And so in this section, you'll see these statements. Uh, we have, uh, if you project the next one, uh, we have three statements, so Exodus 7, 17, 8, 10, and 8, 19. These are after or during all the, the, different, the three different plagues. So first, 7.17, thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. I am the I am. Behold, uh, 
with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn to blood. And then verse uh, 10 of 8, tomorrow uh, be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. And then 19, uh, it's a confrontation. The magicians recognize what's going on. They say, this is the finger of God. They recognize, wow, this is beyond us. We can't, they actually can't produce that, the, the, the gnats. And they realize this is the finger of God. So God is declaring that he alone is God. And it's important to understand that, that this confrontation is, is God declaring that he alone is God. And he's declaring it to all the people. He's declaring it also over the Egyptian gods. There's a whole pantheon of Egyptian gods. And actually many Bible scholars believe that each plague is addressed to a specific god. Um, so if you go through, I think we have the pictures and the different plagues to show. Um, so you can go through this and you, and you see the connections. Um, there are, so the, the water to blood, it's Hopi, the spirit of the Nile. Frogs is, uh, it's actually uh, not Hopi, it's a different name. Huxet or something, I forget. Uh, frog goddess, and then the gnats, uh, Seb, the, the god of the earth, so there's dirt that's thrown. And then the flies, it's uh, Wachit, and he has a, his head is a fly, poor guy. Um, there's the dead cattle, Hathor is a cow goddess, and then the boils, Isis is the god of healing, and the next one. The hail, there's Nut, the sky goddess, Locust from Seth, the god of storms and chaos, he's the guy with the funny jack, or the anteater head, I guess it is. And then darkness, Ra, the sun god. So, so scholars believe that, that each plague is aimed at particular gods. Uh, I, I'm not sure about that. The connections are possible, and other scholars say, well, you know, maybe, but it's not clear. But we do know that they are aimed at the gods as a whole because Scripture itself says it. So in chapter 12, verse 12, he says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, speaking of the final plague, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the I am. I am the Lord. And so this is a confrontation from God Almighty saying, I am God alone. And there is no other. And all the pride and evil of Egypt that has stood against me and my people, has oppressed my people, has done this, this evil, I will, I will crush beneath my sovereign hand because I am God alone. Egyptians needed to hear that, of course, but the Hebrews needed to hear it as they entered the promised land, and we need to hear it. He is Lord alone. Second, the second group of plagues, they are grouped together, and they speak to us that he is for us. He is for us. Um, what happens in the second group of plagues is that, is that as the plagues happen, there's a separation between Israel and the Egyptians. So that's consistent through that. Um, so in, in chapter 8, verse 22, this flies, it says, But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, so that no storms of flies shall be there, that they may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. In chapter 9, verse 4, But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. And then 9, 11, uh, And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. So that is a distinguishment between Moses and the magicians. So what you see in this second group of three is that God is for his people. He's a God who shelters his people from judgment. He is for his people. He's bringing his might and power and demonstrating it, but he's sheltering his people. Of course, that will culminate in the Passover, the final, the tenth plague. It's important to understand, and again, 
hearing that, right? As you're getting ready to enter the promised land, you're seeing his might, you're seeing that he's God alone, you're seeing that he has the prerogative to judge and do as he pleases, yet in his mercy, he chooses to shelter his people. And the storyline of his people, by the way, right, they would have been reading Genesis too about guys like Abraham and guys like Jacob and others. These are imperfect people. It's not because his people are holier, though he calls them to be holy. It's because they are his people. They are his beloved people. He has chosen them to have mercy on them, and they have fled to him for mercy. Those things go together again. And, and so for all of those who would flee to him for mercy, who belong to him as his people, we can expect him to shelter us from judgment. Of course, we know this is ultimately fulfilled through Christ. The good news The greatest plague we could ever face is the holy justice of God for our sins. The greatest cause of that plague is our sin. This crazy, nonsensical impulse to not bow before the Lord and not love Him and trust Him, but do it our way. And that manifests itself in all sorts of way, ways, from, from self-righteousness and creating our own religion where we can somehow earn the right to stand before God to, to the grossest and most heinous crimes. They all come from that same heart, this craziness of sin that's in us that rebels against God and manifests in the whole spectrum of ways. And God in His goodness and holiness must judge sin. The wages of sin is death. He wouldn't be just if He just swept it under the rug. We deserve we deserve wrath. We deserve judgment. We deserve to not be sheltered, but to have that poured out on us for our sins. And yet the good news, the amazingly good news, is that we are sheltered in Christ because Christ went to the cross. Christ went to the cross and he took your sins. He took the wrath of God, the justice of God for my sin, for your sin on himself. He bore the plague himself. And he suffered and then died on the cross for our sins, to shelter us. And then rose again on the third day, victorious over sin and death. There's no better news that we are sheltered, fully sheltered in Jesus. We are safe in Jesus. Though we deserve His justice, we receive His love and mercy. And we are called sons and daughters. We are beloved of God. So He is for us and He shelters us. And the final set of plagues. He wants his mighty name known. That's what is going on in that final set. So verses uh, 16, chapter 9, 16, 10, 2, and 10, 21. It says, but for this purpose I raise you up, speaking of power, to show you my power so that my name be, may be proclaimed in all the earth. Chapter 10, verse 2, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them that you may know that I am the Lord. And then the final plague was so intense that it left a testimony to God as well that should have been shared. So uh, the darkness was felt, it says in 1021. And this speaks to the truth that God is a God for all the earth. He is a God who, who wants his mighty name known in all the earth. And to be his people is to be uh, part of a proclamatory people. There's no silence in the Christian faith and in the faith of God's people. We're not called to be silent. Yes, we're to be respectful and patient and tactful, but our God wants His name to be known in all the earth. He wants others to come to know His mercy and grace and His glory. He's not a silent God. 
And he doesn't call us to be silent, but to be a, a city on a hill, to be a people that are a city within cities throughout the world who demonstrate what love and truth look like lived out. He's a God who wants to be proclaimed in all the earth. So that's what we see in that final set. I hope this helps you appreciate this story and what God is doing, the purposes here, and I hope it helps you listen as, uh, as I read through this section. So I just want to read through. Uh, maybe just sit back and pretend you're sitting around the fire back then hearing it for the first time and listen for these things in the story. And I want you not just to hear it in the story, but I want you to hear it for yourself. Because there might be some aspect of who God is that you need to know. One of these three purposes, maybe something else. There may be some aspect in here God wants to speak to you. His word is living and active. It's not just simply a story to fill your mind, but it's truth to impact your lives. Uh, so, so listen as I read God's word from Exodus chapter 7 through the end of chapter 10. Take a drink of water first. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him, and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and in the vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. 
But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and on your people and on all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, and over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So, Pharaoh, so Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people, that the frogs may be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, Tomorrow. Moses said, Be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They should be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart. He would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water. And say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said it would not be right to do so, for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, they will, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. 
So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did as Moses asked, and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also, and did not let the people go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go, and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln, and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust all over the land of Egypt, and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout the land of Egypt. So they took soot from his, the kiln and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Pharaoh because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning, and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put you, I could have put, sorry, I could have put out of my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people. It will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as has never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. And whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast and every plant of the field and in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as ne has never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant in the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, there was no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. 
the Lord is in the right and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in bud, but the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again, and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson your daughters and grand, grandchildren, sons and daughters, how I have helped, dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Hebrews, how long will you, let, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country. And they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land. And they shall eat what is left to you after the hail. And they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field. And they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and, and of all the Egyptians as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on earth to this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God. But which ones are to go? Moses said, We will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and daughters and with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he said to them, The Lord be with you if ever I let you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No. Go, the men among you, and serve the Lord, for that is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land and all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon all the land of that, all, upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been before nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened. And they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field, throughout all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now there... For forgive my sin, please, only this once. And plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust 
was left in all the country of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, our darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof should be left behind. For we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day that you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face again. Ascends the section of the nine plagues. And as we prepare to transition to communion, just take a minute to think, what about this passage changes your view of God? In what way do you need to adjust how you understand God? In what way do you need to maybe adjust how you understand yourself as his people or as a human being before him? Maybe there's some aspect of this passage that speaks to your life. Let's just take a minute and prayerfully be before the Lord, consider how to apply God's word, and then we'll transition to communion. If the band could come up.